Thank you, Robert. Thank you, church family, for that um, wonderful, wonderful um, reception. I think I'm all cried out for the morning, uh, but I'm going to rehydrate in case I need to cry some more. Um, but before we get going, God does have a word for us this morning, and, and before we get started with that, I do want to take a moment and share my heart for um, the local expression of the body of Christ that is Fireworks Church, um, as well as my uh, personal calling uh, to servant leadership in this body. Um, this body is a unique and a beautiful church. Um, as I've read and studied God's Word throughout my life, God has shaped my heart for His people and for His bride. He has continually challenged me um, to elevate my thoughts concerning the calling and the purpose of His church on this earth, especially in these last days. He has placed within me a desire to lead others by example in lives that are completely surrendered to Christ, in constant communion with the Father through prayer, filled with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and listen to this church, and active and effective for the gospel of Christ and His kingdom, bearing evidentiary fruit and eternal fruit. The Lord began preparing me for this new type of ministry in the spring of 2020 when the Claflins and the uh, Lunas were getting together and praying about um, putting together this, this body. Um, God met me in the prayer closet, and He radically transformed my life with His presence. He baptized me in His gifts and began moving and speaking through me in power and authority. And since that time, he has kept me on my knees for this community. I can promise you that. He just marked my heart to be in continual prayer for this body. It was as if, it was as if he just said, look, I have something planned that is beyond your belief that you could never imagine, but prayer will bring it into being. He's caused my heart to yearn for the health and vitality of this church, like uh, David, um, zeal for the Lord's house consumes me. And he's made it very clear to me that um, the, the, the responsibility, that the leadership of this unique church must itself be unique. Amen? Amen? God has made it very clear to me that He will do His greatest works through me, not from the stage, but in the streets. Yes. Not from the pulpit, but in my prayer closet. Not through recognition, but of being a man of no reputation. I believe He has given me a healthy and a holy discontent for any church model that accommodates and allows religious transactional Christianity rather than the transformed new birth that results in the Spirit-filled life. A tree will be known by its fruit. He has removed from me concern for the opinion of man. 
and any temptation to tickle ears at the expense of souls. He has removed from me any aspirations towards position, title, or reputation, and indicated that the fruit will come from the narrow way, the low way, bowed prostrate before the King and His throne alone. He must increase, and I must decrease. Fireworks Church is in a a unique age and stage, right? Uh, God has done a foundational work uh, as establishing this body as a people of His presence. Amen? He has gathered together a myriad of gifted and talented apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and pastors, and so many others flowing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's not too often that you get to preach at a church called Fireworks on 4th of July weekend. So I'm going to paint the following picture uh, shamelessly. An explosive amount of potential energy is being stored up and is ready to burst into streams of light over the city of Burning. God, amen. And God spoke so clearly, I have lit the fuse. The fuse has been lit. So let's take a look at where we find ourselves today as a church and where God desires to take us, how He desires to build us up as a church. You see, God is building His church. He is building His house. God is building this church. He is building this house. You see, God is jealous for His house. He is jealous for His bride. He insists on being the the designer, the architect, sorry Robert, the builder, everything. In Isaiah 56, you have that Austin? In Isaiah 56, God declares, Even those I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house, declares the Lord, will be called a house of prayer for all peoples. Jesus would repeat this declaration in Matthew 21 as he was clearing the temple of the money changers. He's possessive of his house. He calls it my house. He's jealous for his house. It cannot and will not be turned into a den of robbers. And its marking characteristic is prayer. Relationship, communion between God and man. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Psalm 127, 1 and 2. Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord protects the city, its watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for bread to eat. For He gives sleep to His beloved. We know that the Lord must build this house. I wanted to include that next line because we have been put here for a city. We have been put here to reach a city, to heal a city, to save a city. And unless the Lord protects the city, which we know He is doing, the watchmen labor in vain. We are the watchmen. This is, but this next verse sets the stage for what we're going to talk about this morning. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for bread to eat. For he gives sleep 
to his beloved. It really goes back to that, that surrendered state, right? If we're operating out of rest in the Father, then he's our provision. He's our strength. He's our everything. It's when we start toiling and striving that everything goes wrong. So this morning, we're going to look at the type of house that God builds. And I, I want to first present a question that is posed by Rick Joyner in a book called The Apostolic Ministry. It's a book that I love. I would commend to you. Um, and I will actually quote it a number of times throughout today's message. So, uh, Austin, do you have that, that question? What would the church look like if it were built not to attract people, but to attract God? Come on. Come on. And, and, and I really felt the Lord telling me this this morning. Say this. He said, uh, there's going to be times during this message where it feels like you're at a doctor's visit. But he said, tell my people that for Fireworks Church, it's a well visit. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Amen. What would the church look like if everything was centered on inviting the manifest presence of God, on stewarding the manifest presence of God, on hosting the manifest presence of God, of, wa of, of washing our praise in the manifest presence of God, and treasuring the manifest presence of God? What would the church look like if it was centered on ministering to the heart of God rather than solely to the hearts and minds of people? I have another question, um, the one we won't answer this morning, but does the church exist for the people? Or does, do the people exist for the church to minister to the heart of the Lord? So what do you think the goal of Scripture is? The, the 66 books that make up the entire, entire story of the Bible, what do you think that's all about? What is God's goal in all of His holy written word? His goal is you. His goal is relationship with you. His goal is dwelling with you. God's first plan in the garden was to dwell with you. His ultimate plan in the garden city, the new Jerusalem, descending on his Mount Zion in the new heaven and new earth, his goal there is to dwell with you. I will be their God and they will be my people. And to get us to that final place, that final dwelling place, God sent his only son down to earth as a man to dwell with man. It's, it, the Bible is replete. He just wants to be with you. He just wants to be with me. This church is give or take a hundred temples of the Lord who gather together on Sundays and form a house of worship. Our author this morning would go on to say this. You have that next one. What good is the most glorious temple if God is not in it? If He is in it, it will not be the temple that captures our attention, regardless of how glorious it is. This is the purpose of the church, to be the dwelling place of God on earth, and this is the purpose that she will soon return to. Let me, re let me read uh, this slightly different. Nope, go back. What good is a well-spoken pastor if God is not in it? But if he is in it, it will not be the, cap the pastor that captures our attention, 
regardless of how well-spoken or handsome he is. It will, not be, uh, it will not be the programming. It will not be the worship team. If he is in it, he will captivate our attention. And Rick Joyner says, and this is the purpose that she will soon return to. The author is saying that the church has drifted off course that the church has veered off the path, that it has gone away from the goal, the, the, the singular focus of being fixed on the manifest presence of God in our midst. And drift, that we know, is a dangerous thing. Drift is slow and steady. Drift is difficult to perceive because it's minute changes that happen over a long period of time. And you acclimate as you go, right? It's like the frog that boils in the water. And the church has drifted because our hearts have drifted. And our hearts have drifted because our focus has drifted. And our focus has drifted because our eyes have drifted. Unless our eyes, unless our gaze is fixed on the author and perfecter of our faith, we will immediately veer off course. And it's those who compromised, uh, who uh, compose the church, who comprise the church, we have drifted and we've slowly acclimated to this world and the culture over time. And the church collectively has accommodated the acclimated. The church has changed over time and accommodated the drifters. And over 2,000 years, the definition and perception of what church actually is doesn't resemble anything like what you see in Acts chapter 2. And that's what God is calling us back to. You see, for those in the early church, their eyes were fixed on the one who healed the sick. Who, who brought the lame to walk, who brought the dead to life, who calmed the seas, who fed the multitudes. They were so enraptured by his presence that they would believe anything he said and do anything that he said. Their focus was to do the works he trained them to do. Preaching, teaching, performing miracles prophesying, evangelizing. All for the building up of the church? Yeah, yeah. But not primarily. Their goal was to usher in the kingdom. Christ came proclaiming the kingdom. Jesus made 54 references to the kingdom during his ministry on earth and only a handful to the church. But in the book of Acts, that flips. There's... 21 references to the church and six of the kingdom. So, so what happened? Did the, did the kingdom age switch and now, now we're in the church, the church age? No. Here's the deal. Here's the key point. Their church looked like the kingdom. They were, they were apostolically trained to demonstrate the kingdom, exhibit the kingdom, manifest the kingdom. And when they veered from that, they were corrected. The early church was able to do this because they were captivated by his presence. Emmanuel, God with us. 
the Word made flesh, had come down and tabernacled among them, had made His dwelling place among them. He loved them, instructed them, admonished them, challenged them, rebuked them, but most of all, He was with them. They were his presence changed everything. Their first concern, their first love, was him. Just, just being with him. They were afraid and distraught at the, at the thought of him leaving. As he foretold his ascension, they couldn't imagine life without his presence. But God had a plan. God in the person of Holy Spirit would come and indwell our hearts and lives and fill us with the power the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And so now with Jesus Christ risen and glorified and ascended and seated and ruling and reigning and interceding on our behalf, we with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us can move in that same power. In fact, we will do greater things than He because we have this promise. But we're called to demonstrate His kingdom to a broken humanity. You see, I, um, I think that we're, we find ourselves in a, in a period in history where God is um, lovingly and gently doing a little uh, a divine course correction for the church. The, the generations that are coming up after us, the millennials, Gen Z, and those to come, they have absolutely no interest in that transactional religious Christianity that we talked about. They want something that's going to radically transform their life. They want the old to be gone and the new to come. They don't want to be slaves to sin anymore. They don't want to pursue their own kingdom and then just tack on Jesus. It doesn't make any sense to them. How could it make sense to us as the bride of Christ? It's the spirit of religion. The spirit of religion has been a primary driver in the drift that the church has experienced during its existence. Listen to this. The deceiver has taken our pride, our love of self, our selfish need to be seen, heard, recognized, and loved, and he has coupled that with our, with our good desire to please God. And he's done that to create a distorted reality called religion. It looks humble, but it's proud. Yeah. It looks like the narrow way, but it's taken by many. And it's destroying our witness. See, when we seek to please God for any type of recognition or reward, we become his employees. God is not seeking employees in this hour. When we obey God's laws to be seen and respected by men, we are Pharisees. God is not seeking the religious in this hour. But when we obey God and please Him, simply because we are completely satisfied in His presence, resting in the assurance that comes with true, intimate relationship with Him, we are lovers of God. And God is seeking those who truly love Him in this last hour. To put it this way, when we are trying to please God out of our own striving, out of our own effort, out of our own toil, for our own benefit, that is religion. But when we please God from a place of rest, if it is Him who goes before us, 
And if it's the glory of the Lord that is our rear guard coming in behind us, if it is Him who does the work, that church, that is true spiritual worship. So here's the big idea for the morning. Austin, that God creates places of rest. God creates places of rest where His presence can dwell in order to pour out His oil of intimacy upon us, anointing us to do the work of kings by demonstrating His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. What a mighty calling. What a mighty and large purpose for a church. You see, rest fosters relationship. The Lord desires, and and we felt it this morning in worship, the Lord created a place of rest in Him. We were completely filled and satisfied, and all of our burdens fell off, and we were in complete rest before the Father. You see, intimate relationship is rooted in rest. Jeremiah 50, verse 6, has a startling verse that conveys the level of importance that God places on rest. It says, My people have become lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray. So don't think I take this role lightly. They have made them turn aside on the mountains. They have gone along from mountain to hill and have forgotten their resting place. The type of house that God builds is a place of rest because He desires to be our resting place. All creation began with God creating a resting place. He worked for six days and on the seventh day rested. Why? Because He was tired? No. Because He had accomplished it and now He could enjoy the fruit of His labor. He could enjoy the work of His hands. You and I. He could walk in the cool of the garden with us. We could be the mediator between God and man and we could subdue and create dominion over all the earth because we were in relationship with Him. We were dwelling with Him. Why were we created in His own image? So that we could relate to Him as we walked together. Dwelling together in shalom. Perfect peace and rest. Adam Adam even worked the, the land of the garden and he didn't toil against it for it to give him fruit. That was after the fall. The Lord wanted to give him the bounty and the harvest and the provision, but he didn't want him to have to toil for it. Why? Because that would take time away from them getting to be together. God, creation, and humanity dwelling together in equity, fulfillment, and delight. That is shalom. That is the type of environment that God seeks for the house that he builds, full of rest, renewal, perfect peace. This promotes healthy relationship and healthy intimacy. How many of you know that when you uh, lack rest, when you're tired, or when you lack peace, uh, when, when there's relational strife, that in your marriage, that lack of rest, that lack of peace, affects the frequency and quality of your intimacy? And what's true in the marriage relationship is true with our relationship with the Father. You see, the Lord doesn't want our leftover time. He doesn't want our rushed time in the morning or our exhausted times in the evening. He doesn't even want daily dutiful times of devotion. Will He meet us there? Yeah. 
He's faithful. But he wants the first fruits. Not only of our time, but the first fruits of our heart. And so if you're stuck in your relationship with the Lord, if you feel like you can't hear his voice, if you, if you feel like there's confusion in his plan for your life and, you, and you're just stuck, treat it like you would treat a, a romantic situation with your spouse. Pick the perfect place. Not with kids banging on the door, but a place filled with rest and peace. Pick the perfect time. And part of that time is as long as it takes. And pick the perfect reason, just simply because of your unrelenting love for him and his unrelenting love for you. And as a side note, if you're struggling in your marriage, I would suggest you do the same. You see, God rules and reigns seated on the throne. He's not running around juggling all the balls of the world, hoping that one doesn't drop. Authority flows from the rest found in the omnipotence of God rather than the striving of man. And for the believer, authority is primarily an issue of intimacy. Authority is a matter of proximity. The type of house, the type of environment that God desires in a place that he will dwell is one that is perfectly designed to promote union, to promote communion, a place of rest designed for relationship. And it is in that place that uh, where he pours out the oil of intimacy upon us, anointing us to do the work of kings, ruling and reigning as co-heirs with Christ, living in the full inheritance of the saints. 1 John 2, 20 21. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And then verse 27. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as His anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in Him. Where does the anointing come from? It comes from spending time with Jesus, spending time with the anointed one. Tony Evans would describe the anointing this way. The anointing is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. It enables the believer to understand, apply, and administer spiritual truth. Simply put, the presence of the anointing enables believers to have a spiritual connection. Another scholar would put it like this, Austin. Uh, the anointing expresses the sanctifying influences of the Holy Spirit upon Christians, listen to this, who are priests and kings unto God. You see, at salvation we've, re we've received the gift of the Holy Spirit. By calling on the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, He sends His Holy Spirit to live and to dwell and to move and to act inside of us. But it is as we spend time in the secret place it, it is as we sit, spend time in the prayer closet. It is where it is where we find the, it is when we find those places of rest, and take as long as as it takes to get into that place with Him, 
where, where, where he can pour out that oil of intimacy and it can fill us even more and it can start to go into all the cracks and the crevices and the deep places and the dark places and the hurt places and he can make them whole. So there's levels of anointing. So you're telling me that somebody can, different people can have different levels of anointing? Let me ask you a question. Do, do, you, do you know your wife better in year 30 than in year 2? Year after year, I understand the love of my wife better and better in new and varied ways because of new and varied experiences, joys, triumphs, struggles, challenges. It's the same with the Lord. And he anoints us to do the work of kings. Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. This is what Robert touched on earlier. And this is what's going to be a, a strategic part, a key part of the vision that God has for Fireworks Church. Um, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ might be built up. Until when? Until we reach all unity. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Uh, my version says, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What on earth is attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? It seems kind of like a like a double uh, you know a double meaning right the the whole measure of the the fullness of Christ right it's not a half measure of kind of being like Christ has the church settled for kind of being like Christ yeah attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ is becoming like Him it is stepping into our full inheritance as co heirs with Christ Romans eight Austin now if we are children then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Christ, for the, for the building up of the church, for the unity of the church, for the maturity of the church, until they have attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, gave the five-fold ministry. Now I'd like to point out on this day that pastor is merely one in a list of five. And if we are to be the people that God has designed us to be, if we are to be the house that God truly wants to build, it's going to take all hands on deck. Every prophetic word that was shared this morning was about surrendering to the rest of God, allowing God to work in His authority, allowing us to walk in that authority so that we could be all hands on deck not giving up and surrendering to the prevailing culture that is trying to devour us, that is trying to devour our children. It is going to take every single one of us. So all I see myself is the lead pointer. Uh, I'm using my father-in-law as a, a, the, make an analogy. Um, my father-in-law has a fishing cabin down off the coast. You, you go to Corpus Christi, you take about a 45-minute boat ride down to the land cut, and you find this fishing cabin. And it's nothing glamorous. It's a fishing cabin, right? But my father-in-law, um, as I get older, he gets older, right? 
He has, he has, a, he has a, a, a beautiful head of white hair, and he says, well, mine's turning white, but yours is turning loose. That's what he tells me. <laughs> um, so he's getting, he's getting to that age. You know, there was a sweet spot. There was a sweet season where every time we went down to the fishing cabin, we were soaking some croaker. We were, we were throwing some bait, and we were catching some fish. More often than not now, we go to the fishing cabin to fix the fishing cabin. We've put, we've, put, we've put on new siding. We just put in new floors, right? Um, and my father-in-law, at the age that he is, um, he calls himself the lead pointer, right? He just points to those who are able and tells them what to do. Now, that, that works as an analogy, and it doesn't work as an analogy, right? What I see myself um, as the lead pointer, I see myself as the one who's not pointing at you and you and you and telling you what to do. My job as the lead pointer is to point to him. Yeah. And when we, whenever we stray, right, when it, whenever I'm walking in this way and it's not God's way, just not, not even point to your sin, just point to him. Continually point to him. That is my role, and I submit myself in service, not to you, but to him. My number one job is not to minister to you. It is to minister to the heart of God. And if my heart and my focus and my eyes are firmly fixed on that role and that role alone, then we will flourish. We will ride on the heights of the earth. We will be a well-watered garden. We will be the restorer of streets to dwell in. We will build up the ancient ruins. God can and wants to do a kingdom work through a kingdom people. He needs them submitted and surrendered wholly and fully and united in the love and the bonds of Christ. When my flesh welled up in preparation for today and fear tried to creep in, what the devil tried to do is, is, is have me picture the beauty of the unity that he has created in this place. And the accuser said, you're, you have the opportunity to be the one to, to blow it all. And God said, you didn't build my house. You can't break my house. You didn't birth my house. You can't kill my house. He's, he's called me deeper into the closet. He's, he's called me more to be on my face and on my knees. And not just praying for you, just submitting before him as a good, good father. This is our quest. To be a part of a church who has Christ as both the foundation and the head. Our goal is not to just establish men in authority, but to establish Christ as authority over men. We must preach the kingdom by exhibiting Jesus as the king. And... Uh, Joyner would go on to say, there is more power in a single Christian than in all the armies on the face of the earth. God dwells in his people, and when his people come to know this as a living truth rather than just doctrine, the world will know this truth also. I want to close by saying um, two notes. Um, so one of the sweetest times is if, before you speak on a Sunday morning, a lot of y'all know this, um, 
uh, you, you've spent all this time in the Word, you've spent all this time in prayer, you've spent all this time in the closet, you've spent all this time at the computer and editing and reworking and all of that. And then there's those sweet moments on Sunday morning when you're driving and God says, this is why I said this, so tell them this. And I want you to hear this and I want us to operate from this reality moving forward. God took me to the, the, the seven churches in Revelation. And one of those churches is the church at Ephesus. And the one thing that God had against the church at Ephesus was that they had lost their first love. And I want to say this to you. God sees Fireworks Church as a first love church. He is sending his presence to rest and move and work among us because he knows that this place is filled with hearts who have him as a first love. So Fireworks Church, you are a first love church. And the promise that the first love church receives is that they get to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. And so here's our warning, here's our temptation. The temptation that we face, the challenge that we face, is to not become the church at Laodicea. In Revelation 3, 17, do you have that? Because you say, I am rich, and have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, Going. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may become rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and that the shame of your nakedness will not be revealed and, no, and, and I salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. To those whom I love I reprove and discipline. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. The promise is relationship. And if we become the church that resists the temptation to live in Western society, to live in Bernie, to live among and as the 1% who say, I don't have a need of God because I have everything that this earth has to offer. If we forego what the world has for us and say, I only want what you have for me, then to those who conquer in that way, the Lord says, I will grant him, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. What? What kind of promise is that? I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. This is the reality of the authority and rule and reign that God wants for this house. And God's given me such a peace. He's given me such a joy. Like I've seen pastors go into situations that are just a train wreck. Like this is just a Keep your hands off and let the Lord do it. Just point to Him. And, and everybody's, I don't have to goad people into following. You're already doing it. Let's just do it together. Let's just pick up the pace. No more pep rallies. It's time to play the game. 
And, I, and this isn't even a challenge, right? Like, I know you're ready for it. So let's just do it Amen. together. I want to close um, by saying this. I'll have Jack come up. And, um, the one thing that I do think the Lord is calling for this morning um, is for each and every one of us sitting in here, um, there, there are places in our lives, places in our hearts that are, that are just filled with noise that are just filled with busyness, that may be filled with lies that you're believing about yourself, that are filled with hurt and pain. And they're, they're keeping you from experiencing the true rest that God is calling you into and that God wants to dwell with you in and that God wants to operate from. So I want to invite the prayer team up. If you want to join us on the mission that God has for this church, we need you to be at perfect peace with Him and in perfect rest with Him, fully submitted every single inch of your heart. If there's a part of your heart that you need to release to Him, that you need rest in, that you need peace in, that you need truth to invade, I want you to come up and receive prayer. God wants to invade your life in a fresh way this morning. We can't have those among us who are striving, who are seeking their own glory, who are harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. God is asking for our hearts to create places of rest that he can dwell in and be intimate with us in. So I want you, I'm going to pray. And if you need prayer, if you need to lay a portion of your heart down before the Lord, I want you to come forth. You could do it in your chair, but I want you to come forward. I want you to unite with us and unite with the leadership of this church and say, I am ready. I am in the game. Put me in coach. But I need, I need God to work on this area. And I give it up to him. I lay it at the foot of the cross now. As I pray, you come. Dear Jesus, this house is yours. These people are yours. I am yours. Lord, as you fell during worship, would you fall now? In this moment, would you still our hearts? Would you still our minds? Would we be still and know that you are God? Lord, we give you every inch of our heart. Come in and manifest your presence. Come in and sit down and rule our hearts. Be king of our hearts. Lord, make today the day that we rise up as a church. 
make today the day that we take a step forward as a church. We look not to man, we look to you. We thank you for this house. We surrender it to you. But God, use us. Use us for your kingdom. Use us for your glory. Use us to snatch souls from the fire that does not quench. Make us a well of living water where people will come and receive and thirst no more. God, build your church and we will give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I want everybody to stand and put your hand on your heart. As we dismiss, know that, know that all of our prayer team will be available for prayer even as you go. But I just want to make a, a, a declaration together and a commitment together. So only join in if you mean it. Only join in if you want to be a part. But y'all repeat after me. God, I give you my heart. Every inch of my heart. Draw me in closer. Call me your son. Call me your daughter. Let me live in full inheritance. Let me live the life of a king. Use me for your kingdom. And for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. I love you. God loves you. Praise the Lord. You guys are dismissed.